Boston, I believe over the weekend. No, it was this summer. <laughs> this summer. Okay. So uh, congratulations. Um, and of course, here's the Knowles connection. Uh, she and Mandy met on a, on a gnarly hike that involved lots of turning around. And I'm sure there was some cussing involved if you've done. Yeah. No, <laughs> never. <laughs> never. So um, Captain Brody is a graduate of the US Naval Academy where she was a coxswain on the crew team. So um, if you know that person, that person is the one who rides forwards while everybody else is riding backwards and is the one who can see what's coming and tells people what to do. Excellent training for being a captain, I'm sure. Um, she was one of the first women admitted to artillery basic officer course and proceeded to graduate first in that class of 137 people. She was also the first female artillery executive officer and is currently based in Virginia at the basic school. So uh, Captain Brody is going to share with us her thoughts about both ambiguity and adversity because they can feel like two sides of the same coin. So thanks for being with us this morning and we look forward to your comments. Okay, can everyone hear me? Yes. I'm gonna share my screen just because I think uh, my boring office is, uh, is not, that, not that cool. So I'm just gonna pull up some pictures I've had from uh, my career and then uh, please let me know once, uh, if you can see them. Do they show up? Okay. Yes. Awesome. Um, all right, so I'm uh, Virginia Brody. I am actually a captain in the Marine Corps right now, but um, I have to give the uh, give the statement that it's all my personal opinions, nothing uh, representation of the Marine Corps because I'm still active duty. Um, but with that, General Reiner, uh, thank you for the shout out, sir. Uh, absolute honor. I had no idea you were also field artillery. And you can see my, my howitzer up there behind me in my office. So <laughs> very big fan. Um, so with ambiguity, uh, so ambiguity and adversity, definitely a big part of my career. So I just wanted to essentially uh, walk you through my timeline to, and how I ended where I, where I am right now, and essentially how ambiguity and adversity were, were the guiding features of that, if you will. So as mentioned, graduated from the Naval Academy in 2015, um, and like Rear Admiral Herbert said yesterday, or however many days ago that was for all of you, um, at the time, women were still excluded from a lot of combat roles, one of them being artillery. So I graduated from the Naval Academy and reported directly to the basic school in Quantico, which is ironically where I'm serving right now. Uh, I sir went there, fell in love with uh, a certain military occupational specialty, which was field artillery. Um, unbeknownst to me, that was I was not allowed to uh, select that, which was a huge shock because um, it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen with the weapon system. It was just really powerful and, and I wanted to be a part of it. Uh, so my uh, staff platoon commander, which is essentially uh, a, a senior ranking officer who was my mentor going through this, uh, going through the pipeline at the beginning training school. So he uh, encouraged me just to continue to put field artillery number one in hopes that potentially it would be uh, opened up for me. So sure enough, about three weeks before I graduated, uh, at, the, at the time, the Honorable um, Ash Carter announced that all women would be allowed to serve in every MOS, uh, regardless of gender. And uh, for me, that was a, a huge opportunity, but uh, the legalities of it, I was going to graduate right before 
uh, the January 1st date. So I was in this weird gray limbo zone where it was unclear uh, if, if I was going to actually be able to select uh, the field artillery MOS. So my SPC, uh, he essentially, I don't know what went on behind closed doors, but I'm assuming it was, it was a lot of conversations uh, where he was essentially just vouching for me uh, behind my back and was allowing me to, uh, allowing me to select this. So the way I view ambiguity, it's interesting because I think there's a lot of ways to interpret the word, which means there are multiple interpretations. Uh, the way I view ambiguity is with respect to the people of your organization. So in that particular instance, like he was very familiar with me, my capabilities and limitations, and he saw this opportunity that could have been interpreted a lot of ways. I think there's a lot of pieces of the organization that could have told him, no, she's not allowed to go, uh, we'll, we'll wait till more official word. But instead he, he stood up for me uh, and essentially vouched for me to be able to go on and do field artillery, which was, which was a dream of mine. I uh, ended up graduating uh, as here from the Basie School on the left picture and on the right picture is uh, field, the Field Artillery School. Uh, with that, it was just a huge, a huge honor to, to have even have been afforded that opportunity. Uh, checked into my next unit and uh, there's a picture of me out in, <laughs> in the desert. Uh, checked into my next unit and what waited for me was, was a little bit more uh, ambiguity in terms of my career. So they were still working through the legalities of of where women were going to be allowed to go on deployments, et cetera. Uh, and my career essentially felt like every day I was uh, like fighting day to day, unclear of what was going to happen next. Uh, and, and how I learned to navigate through that was essentially just through like my own personal flexibility and resiliency. So at the end of the day, very grateful for my experience and opportunities that I was afforded, but it was really challenging to like not know what you're going to be doing next, not know what deployments you're going to be able to do and like not know what uh, doors were going to be allowed to be open for you. So with that, it was, it was a little bit frustrating, uh, but this uh, right here, this was my unit that I uh, ended up having what, what you said, the, the EXO, I was the executive officer of this unit, which was a complete honor. So definitely I uh, was afforded that opportunity which allowed me to lead a staff of, um, of 12 other people, which was able to I was the one kind of navigating the ambiguity of our certain mission set or uh, what it is we were able to we were able to uh, accomplish. So big picture, I think uh, ambiguity really comes down to being like a people's organization and how we interpret our own people's capabilities and limitations. So whatever it is, uh, organization you are a leader in, your biggest resource is going to be the people who work there, uh, whether that's you as a leader knowing how how good they are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, like navigating around that, I think is the most important thing um, in terms of in terms of uh, being a leader. Is essentially just making sure you have versed yourselves well enough in what they are able to do, and that essentially helps you navigate through the ambiguity of your organization. So. A second way to look through ambiguity, what we teach here at the basic school. So I'm currently an instructor where I teach the new officers coming through. And the biggest thing we teach them is to develop a 70% solution. So what we mean by that is um, we put them in essentially, uh, we like war games, some scenarios with them, put them in high pressure moments where we force them to make a decision when they don't have all of the information available. So operating in a 70% solution environment essentially 
will ideally get rid of uh, the danger of ambiguity and allows us to feel comfortable making decisions when we don't have a lot of the information or the, some of the information that we feel is crucial. So going back to what General Reiner was saying, he was talking about commander's intent and commander's intent is something that the Marine Corps and the military in general uh, essentially provides itself on. So what commander's intent is, is, is we drive young officers to make decisions in line with commander's intent. So it's not spe specifically telling them how to make the decision, but it's telling them like what their left and right lateral limit is and giving them repetitions at doing it when they don't have all the information. Uh, there's a little bit of, of danger associated with that, right? Maybe that 30% of the information you do not have uh, is crucial, but having the, um, having the mindset that we're never going to be able to receive all the information. If we continuously wait, we potentially might uh, we potentially might lose an opportunity. So we always tell them 70% solution now is better than an 100% solution two days from now. Uh, a little bit challenging when uh, a lot of us in the military are perfectionists and don't want to uh, make mistakes and want to patiently wait until we have all the information. But something we uh, we drive them to is be able to be those fast decision makers. So we, something we always I always tell my students is. Like we're paid to solve complex problems in a really rapidly changing environment. So rapidly changing means like your information flow is going to be uh, sometimes inaccurate or out of date, et cetera, but you must be able to pause to pull all your information in and make a decision on what the info you have at the time is. So it's been challenging, uh, challenging for I think every rank and I think every rank has experienced that. But um, again, going back to like knowing your people's capabilities and limitations and how they're able to navigate around those own situations uh, really, really interprets that. So any questions uh, for me from, uh, from the group, uh, but that's all I got really. Thank you. I love the 